We're live. Welcome to the third rail where we invite guests from every walk of life. Our special guest today is Melinia, right? Melinia Scarlett. She is a social. Uh, it's just, Melanie. Sorry. Oh, Melanie. Okay. I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, I try to make you, you know, stylish. She is a social justice warrior. According to her, she's an environmental advocate, LBGTQ uh, activist. And probably a social justice person, right? Is that it? Welcome to the show, Melanie. How are you? Good, good. Thank you. I'd say I'm, in, I'm an environmental justice warrior and activist in that sense. But with yeah. everything else, I'm actually just kind of passionate about those things. And I'm part of the left. I wouldn't say I do activism for those things as much. But I am trying to raise awareness of like getting people to understand ecology and like the value of nature and how that relates to progressive ideals. Yeah, but you, you, you speak, you, you use your platform to speak uh, in favor of these things or to spread the, the message, right? Yes, for sure. Can that be uh, said? Okay. Uh, I usually start uh, the show with a simple question. Sometimes people uh, get, uh, they, they don't understand what I'm trying to say. Who is Melanie as a human being? I just want to know who you are as a human being, as a person, without all the layers of politics or anything, just you. Oh, okay. So no politics. <laughs> No, no, no. I want you to, the first question. I want you to know who, I mean, who are you? Your sister, brother, I mean, I mean, a student. Oh, yeah. Uh, not a whole lot going on in the family stuff, but uh, <laughs> I, I am, uh, I consider myself to be a budding intellectual. Uh, I am, I uh, like a future academic. I'm still on my way there and still learning a lot. I have an academic mentor who's been trained in uh, engineering and genetics, and he's constantly teaching me new stuff. And hopefully we're going to get our own little hobby lab set up so we can start working on some stuff. And I can actually put what I'm learning to uh, and actually apply it. Um, uh, personally, uh, I I'm just a very like Online mostly is what I'm going to say because I, I can go on forever about like not online, but online, oh, I'm just, I'm very passionate. Oh, no, no, trust me. Uh, <laughs> it, it, yeah. it never ends uh, yeah, yeah. when I talk about myself outside of things, but yeah. uh, I, I'm just very passionate about uh, political issues and people. Uh, I try to like have an anarchist view of things. So I'm always wondering like, what are these power structures doing? Do we absolutely need them? Is there ways that we can make them like less exploitable? Uh, those sort of things, kind of a uh, very uh, lefty way of anal analyzing things. And the most important thing is that uh, I care a lot about the animals. I care about this world we live in, and I think everyone would be a lot better off if we treated this world better. So I'm constantly trying to like bring things back around to like, what is the, like, what is the ecological perspective of this whole? Okay. Um... Melanie, um, where do you fall on the political spectrum? Probably, I have an idea, but I just want you to explain it to the people who are watching. Uh, according according to most people, I'd be like far left, but according to the left, I'm actually cringe left because I'm too edgy for them. Uh, <laughs> That's I mean, how, how far? Because I'm I'm at the center. Are you like a Bernie Sanders person? Oh yeah, I, I'd say I'm I'm an anarchist. So like oh. Okay, so, so like, I would have liked to have seen Bernie Sanders get in. Like, I'm not one of those types where like, I'm just like all anarchy, any power structure, bad, we can't do it. But I would right. like to see a time where we're less reliant on the cur currently existing power dynamics that exist in politics. So yeah. I would have liked to have seen Bernie Sanders get elected over Trump, of course. Um, yeah. But I, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't say that would be like a victory for my personal side of the politics, just less of a loss for the general left. Right. How do you see the Biden administration? Um, well, they're kind of like, I, I, I'm going to be very like, I'm going to gloss over this cause I'm not like really good at the specifics of politics and especially geopolitics. Yeah. Um, but they're, they're kind of like, I actually look at them as more like a neocon Warhawk type deal with like, sort of like how I seen Hillary Clinton and stuff like that. So yeah. I don't see them as like much of a departure from the Clinton or Bush administration, to be honest. So you could say they're moderate Republicans in other words, right? Can they be? Yeah. From my perspective. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I agree with you, especially uh, the Clinton. She's a war hawk, uh, like Ali was. She'll yeah. do anything for war. And Joe was 80 years old, but he's better than the, the last idiot we had for four years. You know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, on social issues, um, the LBGTQ uh, community, um, do you think there's a cultural war in the United States uh, uh, between the left and the right trying to, you know what I'm saying? Oh yeah, no, I, yeah. I do. Uh, I I think that culture war mainly comes from the fact that 
uh, conservatives, like the people who want to maintain the status quo and keep tra traditional norms are losing the battle and progressive values are, are really winning. And so the, instead of just like getting with the times and moving on, they're starting a culture war in light of this. Look at like uh, the anti-CRT thing with like yeah. schools and stuff like that. Well, historically, uh, uh, the left always win the culture war from the 70s, the, the women's movement, the 80s, the, the act up. I don't know how young you are uh, uh, against the HIV uh, era and all that stuff. The right wing sometimes just uses uh, uh, slogans just to fear monger their people to come to vote, like what they do now with the CRT. That's them. Oh, the girls' bathroom. They're going to the girls' bathroom. They're going to get your girls, your daughters. Remember, I think it was a couple of years ago when Obama was president. Mm -hmm. How do we combat such misinformation from an entity that doesn't care about making any sense anymore? Well, okay. So my answer to this applies to online politics. Uh, I'm not like I'm actually terrible. Oops. I'm actually terrible at real world politics. So uh, I I actually don't do a lot of real world like on the streets, working with other people type activism. It has a lot to do with my mental health. But oh. uh, online, what I think we need to do is have like a very, like COVID's actually been a good example of this, how the left hasn't had like a very solid, straightforward uh, counter narrative to what they're saying. Um, mm -hmm. And so that's why like, oh yeah. And when I, cause I don't, I never like, I never have something in my mind of how I'm gonna introduce myself. So another thing I should have said is I'm a very passionate debater. And the reason I'm a passionate debater is because I think what the right wants more than anything is a political echo chamber, something where they can scream into the void and nobody will scream back. Actually, you're wrong. <laughs> so uh, at, like, that's why I'm a debater. I'm constantly trying to find uh, new things to debate about. I'll pretty much debate anything that I feel like I can, like I'm competent at providing a counter, counter narrative to. And I think that's because like in the online kind of zeitgeist, that's the, that's, that's the most like someone like me can do. Okay. Uh, I want to I want to stick to the LBG2 community because you're a member of it, so you have you know I want to I want to hear from you. Sure. What does the word transition mean when you transition? What does that mean? I mean, to the to the layman like me, I'm gonna be honest with you. Mm -hmm. Five years ago, I didn't even know what that is. I don't know. I was an idiot. I was in pain. No mind was going on culturally. Only when I got online, I started noticing you know transition, LBGT, gender rights, all that stuff. Then I started paying attention. What does transition mean when you transit? Well, yeah, it'll mean a lot of different things to different people because what somebody sees their transition as being is a very personal thing. Uh, in the broadest medical sense, uh, this yeah. is when we like do surgery, stuff like that, or hormones. Uh, you know, we give somebody the hormones that matches the gender that they identify as, and this gives them sort of like physical traits that match uh, the characteristics they desire. And then when we go into surgery, uh, we're talking about either like top surgery where either get your breasts removed if you're transitioning to a male or you get them added if you're transitioning to female. Um, and there can be like facial surgeries and stuff like that, but not yeah. everybody needs like the medical transition for a lot of people. The transition is more just like no longer living as the gender they were born as uh, yeah. and getting used to this new thing. So I've met plenty of people who uh, don't take like, they take like the minimal amount of hormones, which is the opposite of what most trans people I've met want. And they, they just want like the minimal effects from it. They don't want the mood swings or anything uh, uh, just so they can like, just so they can dress differently and feel like their clothes fit them and stuff like that. Uh, because for them, transitioning is all about just being able to wear the clothes uh, and take on that role uh, that, that women take on for, for if you're transitioning male to female, I'm trying to be ambiguous about which way someone might go. So that way it applies both ways, but yeah. Uh, I understand. And I appreciate your, your, your honesty. I am. I mean, when does a does a person starts to feel uh, as a child like, hey, something's wrong here. I don't feel right. I mean, uh, I, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you a secret. I used to play with dolls when I was a kid, and it had nothing to do with being. I used to love dolls as a child. You could give me any doll, and I'll shut up and bother my mother for days. But I, I, I but I was, I know I was a boy. But uh, people who are uh, who have this biological, uh, uh, biological uh, feeling. When they start to know that they are, uh, I'm different, you know, I don't feel right. I mean, uh, it's different for everybody. Uh, yeah. Like, you know, it's it's a very complex thing to talk about. So like, for, yeah. for instance, uh, I had those feelings as a kid, but I was also heavily like outed for not being masculine enough, even at like the age of nine. 
because uh, yeah. I actually moved into an all boys group home uh, at a certain point. And like, I'm telling you, like the third day, they were making fun of me, calling me fairy boy and stuff like that, because I was yeah. just obviously not a boy. But then I, you know, that wasn't, that didn't like make me feel like, oh, I'm actually going to, you know, transition now that everyone's making fun of me. It pushed me deeper back into that box. Yeah. And so for roughly at least another 12 years, I just stayed in that box. I ignored every sign that I was possibly not even like felt like a guy because I was afraid. I was mostly afraid of being like associated with like a, like being gay, uh, which is what everyone seemed to think I was when they would like first meet me. But I wasn't like, I couldn't, I wasn't attracted to the idea of, of another guy and me being a guy. I didn't like that. Like it was like, it's like putting two opposite sides of the magnets for me. Um, or to the two, the same poles of the magnets together. Right, right. So I wasn't attracted to that. But as soon as I transitioned, I actually like my my attraction immediately switched and I'm like, "Oh my god, guys are actually really interesting." Right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so uh, like go ahead. Elaborate. Um, go ahead. So so for some people they might uh yeah, I'm not going to elaborate too much on that. <laughs> No, no, but, no, I mean, just say whatever you feel. I mean, I want you to, I want to hear you. I'm not here to hear me. I don't know. Do you want to be monetized? <laughs> oh, no, uh, I mean, I mean uh, forget about the monetization. I mean, what are we saying? We're just discussing issues that are really, uh, they are real issues, aren't they? You know yeah. 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 Well, I guess since you opened up, I'll do one for you. It's, uh, I actually had uh, like a strong attraction even before I considered transitioning to penises, but not to the guys themselves. So uh, like, I was like, well, I'm very interested in that, but for some reason, the rest of it just doesn't do it for me. You, you don't want um, to Yeah, and I, th- I think it was because the imagining myself being all hairy and muscular and all that stuff with another hairy, muscular guy, like, yeah. I, I didn't feel comfortable. I just, it, it's just that simple. It did, my brain was like, no, that's not really what I want. And I, it wasn't telling me what it did want, of course, because right, it took yeah. me forever to figure it out. Actually, right. it was seeing ContraPoints. I don't know if you've heard of ContraPoints. But seeing ContraPoints uh, dismantled the image in my head of like the the cross-dresser, transgender, transsexual, because it's always been portrayed as different things in media. They're, they're always portrayed as being like inherently like uglier, right? right. And, and ContraPoints was the first time I saw a beautiful trans woman. I'm like, holy cow, like I don't, you know, I don't have to like, I don't have to be like this uh, comical caricature of trans woman that I've seen in media. Like I can... I can be beautiful like her and like, just like a normal woman. Although she's kind of like, she's definitely in it for the aesthetic. So uh, we're a bit different that way. Right. Um, so, uh, go ahead. Uh, yeah. The point I wanted to make though, is that like it, it's that like whether or not somebody has this will depend heavily on who you talk to. Cause like if I would have been in a different scenario where I was never made fun of for like my feminine attributes, I probably never would have hid them. And like, right. uh, Transitioning, I probably would have transitioned at a younger age and spent a lot more time as like a non-binary type than as like a super masculine, like every time someone questions my masculinity, I have to show them how masculine I am kind of deal, which I, I hate it. Like if, if there was anything that like told me that like I should have not been that gender, it was the fact that every time I would fight or every time I'd attack tough, I felt so fake. I felt, I just, I knew I was only doing it because that's what other people expected of me. Um, and it wasn't until like the, the door on the other side opened that it mattered. And that's why like, I'm very passionate about trans acceptance and trans rights is because especially for like some, like a kid like me, I suffered so much trying to be something I wasn't putting on all these different masks, uh, as part of like my neurodivergence too. And the part of that suffering, uh, or a huge part of that suffering was just the fact that I, you know, I, I couldn't say to somebody like, you know what, I, I didn't think I could. Um, I, 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 I think I feel like a girl. Right. Um, the only time I really told somebody that before I transitioned was when I actually had a crush on another right. trans person who, uh, who was transitioning in the opposite direction. Right. <laughs> so that was very awkward, by the way, because they didn't yeah. want to date me. Yeah. But uh, that was the first time I ever opened up to somebody. And I think after that, I couldn't lie to myself anymore, at least. Like, I'd already told them. And, it, you know, it was like... Well, can I can't keep telling myself it's not true. Now I can only really hide it. Uh-huh. So I, I think the important thing is that we have a society where people don't feel like they have to hide who they are. Um, unless maybe like who you are has to do with like having hatred towards other people, and that might be a bit different. 
do, do you think uh, uh, there's a lot of uh, mental uh, health health mental health problem that is associated with people who are who live this life or who've been confused as a children? Is there is there something to that? I mean, a compulsion oh, sure. to that? Oh, definitely. Like, well, think about it this way. First of all, like most people who we meet with like proper mental health, uh, like. I don't know how, what the right, uh, I don't know what the right term would be, but yeah. uh, who, who don't have issues with their mental health, don't have problems with it. We would say that like, they also don't struggle with their identity too much. Yeah. Um, and when people, and it's my opinion that when people start struggling with their mental health or sorry, with their identity past a certain point that does negatively impact their mental health. Yeah. And so I think one of the most core components of identity for anybody is your gender. Um, Everyone will have a gender identity, even if it's, you know, agendered, you can still, you still have that identity relative to everyone else's gender. So there's, there's still a, there's still an identity there relating to gender, even if you feel agendered, maybe I'm wrong. I'm just speaking from my own opinion here, but either way, like there has to be, we have to be able to associate ourselves to some aspect of gender. And so when we're forced to go a different way than what feels natural to us, then we're obviously not going to be developing healthy, natural identities, which grow from that core identity. So for me, like a huge, like transitioning isn't just like becoming a woman, it's losing all of those habits and behaviors and stuff like that, that I developed as a, as a boy, really. Right. So um, do you think that the, uh, the LBGQ, the LBGQ plus community is becoming accepted. It's becoming mainstream, I think, right? Lately, I mean, these years, I mean, they're yeah. more accepted now than before, right? Oh, for sure. For yeah. better or for worse, like, you know, it's been a little bit commodified and stuff like that, which I'm definitely enough of a leftist that when I see corporations take on that cause, I never think it's a good thing. Um, but uh, the representation is always welcome. Uh I, I like even small things like I was watching a video game the other day yeah. and uh, watching somebody play with their friends and one of their friends had like a trans flag on their car because it was like a racing game. And yeah. I and I instantly like I was like, oh, my God, I love that person because, you know, I knew that like this, this was on YouTube and I knew that like a lot of people would see that. And there's just like if we look at two possible worlds, one where trans where the existence of trans people is recognized and one where it's not. Yeah. It, obviously the better one is where trans people are recognized and we feel like we have a place in society. Okay. Um, Did I answer you your know, question, by the way? I think I might've rambled a bit there. No, no, I, just, I was just saying that uh, 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 there's a lot of acceptance in the mainstream media or the, the people. I mean, like me, I told you I was an idiot. I didn't know what that was. If you told me like maybe seven, eight years ago, 10, maybe 10, let me go back further. If you told me that, I would not. I don't know what that is. I don't know people, uh, you know. And as the more I became educated, the more I accepted it. You understand? Right? Oh, yeah. Like ten years ago, I was like, "What? What? Is, what are you talking about? Get out of here!" Even Same I'm a for me. Same yeah, for yeah, me. So like seven, eight years yeah. ago, I would have thought that transsexual yeah, yeah, was the right name. So, <laughs> but I wanted to ask you more. See, people, all communities and ethnicities, they strive to be normal, right? So when Dave Chappelle, you know who the comedian is, comes in and take a shot at the uh, at the trans uh, community, isn't that normalizing that community? I mean, we, you know, you know how many people make up Muslim? They call us terrorists. Remember that guy with the doll, uh, uh, Ahmed yeah. the terrorist? Remember he used to make fun with the skeleton he had. You know, I didn't care. I, mean, I said, oh, I was laughing like everybody else. You know, I didn't, I didn't. isn't that normalizing uh, that community? I mean, why such a a, a reaction? Such a harsh reaction. Well, this is where I think listening to that community is really important because uh, the first thing that most people are introduced to, especially coming uh, out of a generation where most people grew up in the 90s, is the negative representation of trans women or trans people in general. Mo more trans women than trans men, though, because, of course, you know, uh, lots of uh, jokes about men dressing as women to be had. And um and so like what the question is, what are we normalizing, right? Are we normalizing tropes? Are we normalizing these stereotypes, which trans people have had to overcome to have proper representation? Yeah. Uh, and like a second thing is like uh, more down the vein of comedy. Uh, I, I think if you're going to do comedy that potentially puts like entire communities at risk of further marginalization or stuff like that, you also have to listen to them. Uh, 
like a like a a good a good example actually is um uh I forget who it was so like I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do it as a quote but somebody who I I follow on Twitter said yes. something along the lines of uh you might meet a random black person or two who's fine with you saying the n word as a white person but uh, as in general not everyone's going to be so you have to also respect the people who don't want you saying that just as much as you respect the people who do um and and that's the thing about uh, if if you're going to make jokes about the trans community and you do end up offending people uh i don't i don't think someone should be okay with that uh, uh personally like if you're a comedian i don't think Dave, Dave Chappelle should have been like oh, okay i'm offending people uh, everything's fine cuz i'm a comedian and there's there's no damage uh, there's a there's a point. There's definitely a point where ignorance and uh, arrogance becomes involved. Right. Okay. Before I move on, um, I just want to share this with you. As I grew up in the late '90s, um, in high school and stuff like that, a lot of uh, young, you know, we knew they were gay. They would they would be abused and bullies in the in the cabin. You know. I was a bullied kid, so I'm not going to tell you. I used to, get, you know, I used to stay with the idiots like at the lunch. You know how the misfits had their own spot uh, far at the end of the lunchroom just not to get attention of the jocks? Yeah, that, that was my table too, by the way. Yeah, yeah, we used to have that table. All the misfits, you know, they're, they're hiding, trying not to lock eyes with the, with the jocks or the guys or whatever you want to call chats or the insult called them chats or whatever. But I want to share with you that um, at that time, there was a lot of abuse, bullying, hitting, and nobody said anything. The teachers never said anything. This, this school. And I, you know, a young kid, I, I knew it was wrong. I was like, saying, why aren't they helping this kid? I mean, it, I mean, everybody's picking on it. But uh, thank God that the, 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 the people have become educated and accepting. And the good thing about the United States is we have a recourse to address certain uh, uh, grievances. You know, we have like a, 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 re, a, a restart, whatever it's called, a reset. Okay, I want to move on. What, uh, what do you think about the economic disparity in the United States? Oh God, that's a very open-ended thing. Yeah. Um, can Can you ask a bit of a more specific question? Because well, my brain just wants to be like my brain wants to jump to capitalism bad, but then to substantiate <laughs> that would be ridiculous. So, what I'm saying is that the the, the disparity we have we used to have a, a healthy middle class in the '60s and '70s before that. Now that middle class has evaporated. Now you have in the bottom. Where 43% of American family only has $500 in saving before the COVID-19 crisis. And you have people who made $100 billion last year, like uh, Elon Musk and all the other all the barons. That. What do you think about that disparity? What is, what is it going to lead to? Oh, well, it's, it's, it can't like, lead to anything different than what we've had now. We have to start doing something different before we can expect different results. Uh, the problems it creates are just uh, awful. Um, See, like I'm not an like I'm not, not an economics uh, an economics person. Um, yeah. But one of the things, like, like bringing this back to ecology, is uh, one of the things it creates is uh, an issue of competition, where uh, jobs that are higher paying, you know, they they quickly they quickly go. Um, and so, uh, crap. Where was I going with this? I see. I'm really not good with the economic side of things. No, what I'm saying, the human sense of it. I mean, the disparity between poor and rich. I mean, the United States. I think you're from Canada, right? I don't know how. how uh, over there. But what we have here, we have people like, let's say, during the COVID uh, crisis, right? They made two point five trillion dollars. The rich, while us, we got fourteen hundred dollars one time, and we got twelve hundred dollars one time, and maybe some unemployment. What I'm saying is that it's so disgusting wealth at the top. While people in the bottom are just feeding, you know, uh, uh, feeders, you know, what do you call them? Uh, bottom feeders, what they call, I don't know what the word is for, you know? Oh, yeah. Um, I get what you're saying. Yeah. Uh, def- definitely one of the things uh, that bothers me is where government spends its money. Um, yeah. So uh, I'm not, I'm, I'd say like as an anarchist, I'm less for big government than I'm probably about to sound here, but I am also for for working within the current framework that we have because setting up an entirely new uh, society can be quite savage. Yes. Um, so with the framework we have, uh, I think the best thing the government can do is stop uh, stop funneling money up, essentially. Stop, yeah. like Even stop spending it on the military as much, stop giving it to Raytheon and Boeing and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, we should actually have, uh, I know we talk a lot about like social, uh, not socialized, private, uh, public, public Facebook essentially, but I think that we should have a public Kickstarter, like a, 
like a, the government run sort of GoFundMe type thing um, mm -hmm. that will create all sorts of like political issues. Like, do we give, uh, do we give like some sort of not no, neo-Nazi adjacent group funds for mm -hmm. having political rallies or something? I, I don't know. But, <laughs> but the government has so much more power to lift up the lower and middle classes. And all it does is it lifts up the, the upper echelons of society and that's why we see uh, the homeless rates that we do and stuff like that. Yeah. And there's the other side of property as well. And I, I really don't like the way uh, our society currently views private property. Uh, I think that if private property isn't currently being used by the person who owns it, then we should probably, uh, what's the best, uh, do eminent domain and put yeah. it towards a public service. Right. Do, uh, do you think capitalism is failing? Uh, yeah, well, I, I think that the biggest issue with capitalism is a that private property thing, and yeah. b the notion that uh, profits are all that matter. Um, right. So, if capitalism doesn't fail any other way, it'll fail us by destroying the environment and then making its own resources untenable to either obtain or sustain, uh, etc. So, like a lot of production lines that we. Uh, rely on they're close to places where natural disasters could happen some which some of which are you know caused by changes in climate and so once we start when, once we lose the stability of our environment and our climate yeah. uh, capitalism is going to have to work overtime to keep its status quo and i think that'll mean a loss in profits and since the dogma itself is that you need profits over anything capitalism itself will capital capitalism will collapse in on itself Right, because, uh, you know, Karl Marx, uh, you know, I'm not a communist or anything, uh, stuff like that. I'm a little bit on the socialist uh, side. He said the, uh, uh, the failure of capitalism will usher in communism. The only way communism could come in is when the, uh, the class wars, where he said, you cannot have communism right now until uh, 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 capitalism failed. Do you think there's some truth to that? Or? Uh, I don't know about communism specifically, so, like... <clears throat> I, I think what a lot of Mark, what Mark said still applies to today, but there are also things that applied more to what, when he wrote what he wrote. Yeah. Uh, for one thing, um, I don't know how much his works have really incorporated the concept of automation. I don't yeah. even, I don't think he believed that automation would take, be able to take over every job if, uh, if, uh, eventually, but it probably will. Like yeah. aside from a scientist or something, there's like, what jobs can we not design a machine to do? Right. So uh, yeah. This is why, like, going back to, like, the disparity as well, uh, in order to prepare for this future, we're definitely going to need to provide people, like, a basic living income uh, yes. because people are just going to start naturally losing their jobs from uh, – attrition is not the right word, but from automation and right. just becoming obsolete. So, uh, on the other hand, that's why I support unions. Just I'm not passionate about them. Um. Did I answer your question? Because I got sidetracked again. Sorry, I have terrible ADHD, so sometimes I just ramble. <laughs> no, it's okay. Don't worry about it. It's YouTube. It's not like we're on uh, CNN. I was going to ask you one more thing. Um, what is it? You see, now, now I have the issue. Now you, now you gave it to me. I, I was getting Sorry. ready to ask you the, the, the question. I forgot what the question was. Oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah. In, in 1990, uh, 1990, 30 years ago, 90% of household wealth was in white American hands, right? 30 years later, 87, 85% or 86% so still is in the hand of white household. That means blacks only get half 4% of America's wealth, like family wealth, mm -hmm. and uh, and Hispanics about 3 uh, uh, three 3%. Why is there so much grievances from the white community or from certain white groups or certain uh, segments of the population? So if I was uh, better at remembering the sort of things I need to remember to keep yeah. track of history, I'd be yeah, able yeah. to answer this a lot better. But yeah. I actually have like some sort of a memory issue with dates, names, and places specifically. Yeah. Uh, and then listing off stuff is terrible as well for me. So I know that there's like a historical concept of like generational wealth and yeah, gerrymandering yeah. and redlining and stuff like that. So there's yeah. there's clearly like racialized policies, which effectively yeah. kept people in a form of economic slavery that white people weren't nearly as like uh, enslaved by uh, over time. Now, don't don't take me out of context. I'm not saying literally every white person was well off. So that's a different no, no, thing. No. I don't mean you. I mean whoever's watching. No, matter of fact, I think 80% of white people are poor as us. 
They don't have yeah. nothing. If you go down south, the Appalachia, if you're from the United States, if you go to West Virginia, to Kentucky, to Alabama, you see all these chocolate uh, trails. They're poor as hell. I mean, there's not, they don't have, the problem is they vote against their interests every time. We're the Republicans. Uh, I was going to ask you the question. Um, do you think we have uh, our political uh, culture has become corrupt? The political cu- culture has become corrupt. Well, actually, yeah. uh, quickly, just to uh, add on to what we were just saying, I do yeah. think that the economics and property owning systems were originally made so that we all white people would prosper uh, okay. at the cost of minorities. Um, yeah. And that's that's eventually fell off the wayside as like capitalism itself kind of consumed itself and people kept on getting richer while others didn't. And then competition for that very high pie in the sky uh, spot meant less and less people could actually have it, um, especially once we stopped allowing people to own slaves. So yeah. um, that that's just my personal belief. Um, uh, with the corruption of political culture, well, I, I Leave that. I want to go someplace else. Okay. Finish. Okay. Uh, um, about the the the, the disparity of wealth. Uh, I think personally that uh, uh, capitalism is a is a failure right now, and, and it's become corrupt and disgusting, and, and eventually it's going to lead to violence or social turbulence in the streets because people are not going to stay like that watching what these. There's something called the the. The Bacon Rebellion, I always mention that of 1676, if you have your computer in front of you. Uh, yeah, I'll look it up. It has the same issue. They had the elites in, in Virginia, and they had the, the poor whites, the indentured serving whites who were like slaves, and the slaves. They united as one, and they made a militia, and they burned down the capital of Jamestown, Virginia, because they had a lot of grievances. This is what's going on right now in the United States. These people, there are too much people are wealthy. And that a lot of people are suffering in the United States. I mean, does that make sense a little bit? It does. I yeah. wish people had like a better ability yeah. to navigate where these problems come from. Because I think a lot of people right now uh, are looking into a big thing that's overly complicated and they don't quite understand it. And they're filling yeah. in the blanks of what they don't understand with like their own kind of narratives. And that's leading people to get mad at things that they that they it's really a waste of time to be mad at like vaccines and stuff like that. Like they're not going to give us tyranny through vaccines. I'm sorry. Tyranny is way more difficult than that to just do it through vaccines. But anyways, um, so in, in general, um, I I think one of the worst things about politics is that it's become so detached from the people itself that anyone can have some sort of insane uh, conspiracy theory. And it's supported (laughs) by the fact that they're not there, that they can't see it for themselves. So they can just entertain this idea and then run with it. Do you think our political parties are corrupt? Uh, by capitalism and profit motives, uh, because they are often, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? They, they, they need to do what their donors want them to in order to maintain their, their seats. Yes. Uh, I don't, I can't think of any other immediate ways that they're corrupt. Uh, that would be like easy to substantiate or not like to do with individual politicians though. But there's also like, there's clearly a part of the Republican party in the United States and the, the, the conservative slash PPC party here. That's totally fine with white supremacy, if not uh, tacitly trying to make it relevant again in the mainstream. Uh, and I think that that's a totally different corruption that we definitely need to stop in its place. I think my personal, uh, I think the Republican party is no longer a parliamentary party. It no longer wants to play by the rules or by opening its doors to minorities, to different uh, uh, coalition of people. To, to, they used to call it the Big Ten during the Reagan administration. Mm-hmm. I think they have moved so extreme that have become just a, a, a political wing of the a, 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 of the white nationalists. Can that be? Can that be said? Oh, is there such thing as white nationalists? What is white nationalists? I mean, I, even that, I don't believe. Oh yeah, and I, I I'm probably going to mess up some definition, but basically, it's uh, it's when you merge your uh, identity of you know my race is superior with your sense of nationalism, just to keep it simple. Yeah. Um, I I don't think that alone is what makes the Republican Party. Uh, untenable. What's going to make them ultimately untenable is that uh, all of the policies they currently push for are going to be less and less popular with each coming generation. Uh, and so they're going to have to do less and less democratic th- or things that don't fit the ideals of democracy 
to even maintain seats. Uh, and I, I think Trump was a weirdly uh, obvious uh, manifestation of that, but it's it's usually not going to be that obvious. Uh, um, the Republican Party is shrinking. You know, they only represent 22% of the United States population, okay. and their policies have turned not into uh, uh, increasing democracy and making it more healthy. They have turned to uh, voter suppression, gerrymandering, outright cheating, and if they lose, it must have been, have been stolen. They even attacked the Capitol because they lost an election. While in 2000, Al Gore lost by like 538 votes in Florida and gave up the presidency, and he won the popular vote. Imagine if this was happened. So the Republican Party no longer is, I don't think it's a political uh, 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 entity anymore. Yeah, I, I think what it's struggling with is that there are still plenty of like Republican dinosaurs there who truly believe that the Republican Party is still relevant. But then on the other hand, there's a bunch of people joining who want the Republican Party to represent the white nationalist front, um, yeah. which here in Canada, they just started a new party. It's called the PPC, the, yeah. Uh, well, God, what is, what is the, P I usually know because the election just passed, but I haven't yeah. thought about that party in a while. But either way, they're like the libertarian front, of course. Um, but, it, but in reality, like they're taking on all of the far right positions and they really just do a terrible job even being libertarians in the end uh yeah. but for them that's pretty easy to just be like that but for the republican party there's they're like forced into the, this internal struggle where you have to deal with the people like mitch mcconnell who aren't exactly white supremacists they're definitely racist but uh you can't just like you can't just get the, those people those dinosaurs to become white supremacists because you're now part of the party um so I think for once, I actually kind of agree with America's two-party system because uh, in Canada, like these these fascists just made their own party. Uh, they're they're kind of having to struggle against against the actual Republican Party itself, which is scary, but also kind of uh, ironic to me. Yeah, in the United States. Uh, sometimes we're jealous of country like yours. You have a parliamentary uh, system where you you vote it and they pick a prime minister, right? Yeah. Because here we they take turns. It's like a, two corrupt parties. They've been taking turns peacefully until the, uh, Trump came. He don't want to give up that power and, and all that headache started and all the fraud and all this fakeness because they were so greedy. They don't want to give the. They take turns to rob the United States. That's what I would say. You know the the both political parties. It's I mean, kind of the same here too, though, because like the liberals uh, here are just basically the Democrats. Uh, they're also war hawks. Uh, Trudeau is definitely a war hawk. Um, and the PC, the progressive conservatives, not very progressive, by the way, um, although probably more progressive than the Republicans, ironically enough. Yeah. Um, they're they're uh, they're just the same as like the trading places with the Rep uh, Republicans here for us. Right. So uh, it like the fact that we have other parties, I guess, kind of sometimes prevents majorities from happening mm -hmm. more often than it might for uh, I guess it's like House and Senate seats on your end. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, but gen in general. Uh, it's it's not that much different. Right. <laughs> and corporate uh, interests rule the day, and and like the pipelines and stuff like that, they're they're what determines the uh, political outputs of our government. What's your view on immigration? Uh, there's obviously like some theoretical limit to it where we can't sustain it, but so long as it's uh, within like a theoretically sustainable area, uh. I don't necessarily think that borders are the most uh, necessary things. So I think one of the best ways we can uh, lessen that power dynamic is stop telling people where they can live. Right. What do you mean? So you're open to mass immigration? Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm also open to giving people citizenship just because they want to live here. Uh, unlike uh, people who are opposed to immigration, I think that the majority of people who want to live in your country also want to be law abiding citizens. Oh, yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I don't think that like there's a birthright or anything that's associated with like a certain parcel of land that isn't just like completely arbitrary and that arbitrary, uh, the fact that it's arbitrary tells me that we can also change this if we want to. Yeah. But you see that here in the United States, we have a problem. Um, we have the, a white majority that, that is in fear of becoming a minority and they have every right to fear. Nobody wants to be a minority. It, it, it's a, it's a human uh, 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 emotion. So um, 
my idea is I'm an immigrant and my family is an immigrant, but I don't want too much immigration because I don't want it to uh, disturb the balance of power in the United States and put white this is white people into extreme. They're going to become extreme, whether we like it or not, because they're going to fear their privileges, whatever, or they're going to become minority. Why do we have control of uh, 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 immigration so we can keep the, the, the food pyramid of the population the same? Oh, well, okay. So starting with like the first thing, uh, I don't actually think being a minority uh, would matter if there was no actual political majority that stood out from the rest. So I think it's actually more ideal that everyone's a minority than uh, that there even is a majority to begin with. Uh, with the food thing, um, actually, like any sort of like, I'm going, I'm not going so much off of uh, like human models, but I'm going off of what I've seen from ecological models is that you could probably expect people to start leaving as a natural response to food, like food shortages and stuff like that and moving places where there aren't food shortages. Yeah. Uh, so I think that this is actually kind of like a self-balancing dynamic. Yeah. Okay, let's move on to the thing. Uh, do we do that? Do we do that? Uh, do we do that justice? Uh, what, what's going on in Canada right now with the truck thing? Yeah. So right now, uh, Ottawa downtown is currently being occupied by, yeah. uh, I think, several dozen trucks. Yeah. Um, Ottawa just declared a state of emergency, but the federal government uh, apparently wants to reach out and do negotiations with them. Uh, the residents of downtown Ottawa are just completely fed up with these people. They like I like I was part of Occupy and I saw how bothered that that was for people, but we were not that bad. Like people, like anyone who lives in that area resents this movement. Yeah. Um, and I say everyone, but I mean everyone who isn't already biased in favor of it. Yeah. Um, they're currently uh, using up a lot of our resources, or I say our, because I'm not in Ottawa, but they're using up a lot of Ottawa's resources like policing and ambulances and stuff like that. Uh, I know that they've definitely caused disruptions for like women's shelters and stuff like that too, which bothers me because uh, people in those shelters are very sensitive to things that like changes in their environments and stuff like that. So it, you know, it's probably very easy for them to be bothered by that. And that saddens me because apparently a few people have checked themselves into the hospital over this noise. Yeah. Um, with, with the association of parties that are potentially white supremacists and stuff like that, uh, one needs to keep in mind that this already kind of happened. And I think in Alberta, sorry, just one second, excuse me. Um, and that, in that, uh, rally, they weren't hiding the fact that there were ties to white supremacist groups uh, who started this and stuff like that. Yeah. The only difference between this rally and that one is that they did a lot better job hiding this, and that's why the popularity took off with people who don't know any better. But if you look at the people who are who started the, the Kickstarter campaign, uh, I can't remember their names right now because that's just something I'm terrible at doing, yeah. uh, but they, they have clear uh, ties to both Islamophobic and white supremacist things just to keep it vague. <laughs> um, so it's really hard to actually separate those politics from what the truckers are saying that they're doing. Now, a lot of people also think that this is just like against mask or vaccine mandates. It's, yeah. it, they acted like that's what it was a response to uh, the forcing of vaccines for truckers uh, who are crossing the border, which makes total sense, by the way, if you don't want to have another outbreak in your country. Right. Um, so uh, but that's that's ultimately not what anyone's there saying. They're in general, they're against all mandates. Most people there, they think that they're like radical libertarians. Yeah. Uh, but most people are actually against, uh, or sorry, uh, what you'll also see are people who are against most of the measures altogether. And so, uh, I don't think anybody who actually wants this pandemic to go away should be on board with this trucker movement because they have they don't have any real solutions. They're just they're just. Uh, fighting for their own sense of entitlement. I wouldn't even call it freedoms. And um, I, I really hope that this leads to nothing because if this keeps happening, if this inspires other groups uh, to do the same who are like white supremacists or whatever, that would be terrible. And although it definitely has the potential to do that, unfortunately. Yeah, I heard um, maybe they could be using it as a excuse because uh, the children were going back to school anyway. So the mandate was, was being lifted slowly and anyway, at the end of the day, the United States doesn't want any people coming in if they're not vaccinated. So if Canada says it's A-OK, -okay, 
But you still can't come to the United States. So what are you going to go demonstrate against us, uh, Niagara <laughs> Falls, uh, or whatever? You They'll try. Yeah. <laughs> the, at this point, I, like, there's what's what's stopping them from yeah. like what's 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 the consequence for doing this, right? And that's what bothers me. Yeah. Uh, I also, by the way, like I'm actually against putting kids in schools yet while Omicron's spreading. Um, yeah. It's just it's obviously going to be several steps back in this whole thing. Well, we had it, uh, Omicron. Uh, I, I'm vaccinated, fully vaccinated, my wife. But we, we had the kids and uh, everybody came visited for the Christmas, you know, because there was no school. There was about 14 of us in my house. And then one of the kids started sneezing and, and that. And then we all got it except my, my wife, you know. But uh, uh, it, was, it wasn't as bad. It was like four days, three days, uh, you know, because we were scared. As soon as the kid got, oh, I'm going to die. Then uh, it was four day. It was a four day. It was, it's a weak uh, uh, violent. Thank God, you know. But there's a lot. There people still dying. We we had thirty six hundred the other day here in the United States. Um, the problem I have is why, why has mass became an issue? It's just a mass. I mean, why have you made it a political issue and made it a, a symbol of opposition to the to to the so called elites? I mean, why did you just wear a mask and fucking move on? Excuse my language. Huh? <laughs> Uh, yeah, so uh, it definitely started because masks were the first things we were actually mandated to wear. Yeah. Uh, social distancing came with that, and social distancing was a little bit harder to, uh, you know, oppose because we didn't like anybody who knows how distance relates to the transmission of the virus. Uh, you know, understands why it's six feet and not two. Uh, but with the mask, uh, they didn't do a great job actually ex- explaining, like. Uh, you know, here's how the virus transmits. It relies on these mechanisms to actually make it to the host. And by putting on a mask, this is how we interfere with those, uh, with the normal function of those mechanisms. Um, and it's, so people uh, took away from it that the mask would stop the virus, which they don't, or that uh, you wouldn't get sick if you wore a mask, uh, which is also not true. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think a lot of the people who are anti-vaxxers and anti-maskers also aren't actually like paying attention to the details. They come away with some sort of conclusion based on whatever news story they saw. Um, and then when they don't see that conclusion, uh, then they get mad. So a lot of people thought that masks were going to end the pandemic uh, because we didn't, a, like I, the scientific community didn't know if it would or not, if it was enough. But also uh, I think a lot of like uh experts who came on the media were trying to like, without giving like much forethought saying like, this is what we do to end the pandemic without actually saying like, this is uh, some of the things we can do just to end the pandemic. Yeah. Uh, so, um, so a lot of people, when they see that, the, when they saw that the pandemic hadn't ended, we're starting to do vaccines and stuff. Now they're like, well, I just spent a year wearing a mask. Why, why didn't that work? So I, I do think that this was a huge issue uh, for like the CDC and uh, Canadian Can- version of that. Um, I, 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 I was going to say the Canadian version of that, but then I said Canada. So <laughs> yeah, um, go ahead, elaborate. Go ahead. Um, yeah. So if like people had like just a better understanding of the science, like right out the door, like uh, right. if with every news story, they had to like give like an exact, like, like a visual de- demonstration of how it works. It, we would have had slightly different results, I think. Right. Um, I think the CDC uh, um, and our government made a lot of mistakes uh, because they kept on changing the the, the, the messaging and, and people who are, uh, 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 you know, bad people, they used it as um, they use that misinformation to their benefit to create more uh, misinformation. Because more they said you don't need no mask, and they said you don't need this. They have a bad mess, uh, bad messaging going on. And that I think that created a lot of mistrust uh, for people. Do you, do you agree with me? Oh, for sure. And yeah. like the problem here is that like for the people doing the misinformation, it's a win-win. You have the easy, like you have the easy point. You're just trying to convince people that their ignorance makes them right. right. Um, and whatever happens, you can basically claim that as like, oh, these people are incompetent. So the first problem, the reason that the CDC started changing these things is because coronavirus hasn't exactly given us the exact same, uh, hasn't given us the expected results that we have learned from previous pandemics because it has a few tricks of its sleeve, genetically speaking, with like mutations and stuff like that. Uh, so 
the original like definition of pandemic and vaccines, they all kind of had these outdated things uh, to do with them that applied to previous uh, viruses and diseases that we've tried treating this way. Um, whereas with uh, this new thing, we have to, we've had to deal with more variants than usual for most pandemics. Uh, it's been uh, actually transmissibility is higher than the risk of death. So that's actually created a new dynamic. So the original definitions were wrong. And then the anti-vaxxers and anti-maskers were saying, oh, well, look at this definition. It doesn't actually fit what they're doing or how they're using the vaccines and stuff like that. So then the CDC is like, okay, well, let's change our definition. And that's when the anti-maskers and anti-vaxxers got their second victory. Um, so that's what I mean by like, it's a win-win. Like, it doesn't really matter if the CDC has the wrong definitions or the right ones. Uh, when they do what any scientist does, which is update their definitions to fit the current understanding of things, uh, people who aren't scientifically minded will see that and think that that's uh, some sort of an admission of guilt or something. Yeah. I want to ask you now, uh, the, the last segment is, um, do you think climate is real? Climate uh, issue is real? Uh, climate issues. Yeah. Um, well, we, we definitely did ourselves a disservice by first naming it as global warming. Uh, but I think it's a hundred times worse than we still tell ourselves it is today. Um, from what I've seen, every time we do like more and more precise models, it, we keep on getting results that are worse and worse than what we previously predicted. Uh, this also has to do with the fact that we have more information by the time we do these updated models. Um, and, and in general, like uh, if you look at your forecast, uh, the days that represent the extremes of like either hot or cold, you might notice that they predict something that's about half that temperature or, or I guess if if you're talking about below zero, uh, half half uh, less than zero than the actual than what it actually hits, and that's because uh, the forces that are being generated by these changes uh, are are hard to predict for because climate is usually stable, relatively speaking. <laughs> climate is usually stable, relatively speak, uh, speaking to our own lifespans. We're not used to seeing climate change within our lifespans, and this is generating forces we probably don't even understand within meteorology yet. Uh, because we before we would make a lot of assumptions based on the idea that the climate was stable. Um, so we have a huge, huge problem right now of actually knowing how bad it's going to be. But I, I guarantee anybody who's skeptical of this much, it's like we may not know how bad it's going to be, but it's only going to be worse than our, than our most conservative predictions. Uh, and furthermore, it's really hard for people to actually comprehend like the cascading impacts of these things. So like, yeah, you think like, Oh, the water level goes up and people can't live in Florida anymore, but this actually means massive loss of uh, very special habitats for uh, animals that have important roles in their ecosystems. Like they're basically what's known as a keystone species, which means that if you lose that species that lives in that particular niche, then you lose the entire ecosystem. Uh, yeah. And that's why we need to maintain these habitats for these sort of species. Uh, but there are also plenty of like, uh, uh, well, look at the bugs, for example. Bugs are essentially like as a whole, a keystone clade uh, for all environments, for all ecosystems, except for maybe like tundras and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so, so as we keep losing that, we keep on losing these ecosystems and then we lo these ecosystems, which are like a fundamental component of the stability of our climate, we lose those as well. So it becomes like this massive feedback loop where a small change in temperature leads to a huge change in ecosystems. And then that change in ecosystems leads to a further change in temperature. Um, and I know that the same thing's happening with like melting ice, uh, with uh, ice that's melting to the north, is pushing air down. Uh, that's causing air from the south to come up and warm things up. And that's actually melting more ice and causing more uh, cold water to come down from the south. So uh, what we need to understand is that these things are uh, what, what scientists would call positive feedback loop. They they reinforce each other and they keep growing every, every cycle. Every time we go through this, it gets a little bit bigger and a little bit bigger. And that's why we need to be worried about this. It also is dangerous because it's going to create mass migration, like for, um, from one continent to another from country. As people uh, lose the, their habitat, their farming, and, they, and it becomes un undesirable to live, they're going to need to move to other other people's country. That's going to create a lot of wars in the future, and a lot of mass immigration by the millions. 
and it's dangerous. People don't understand that, uh, what's going to happen in the future. I could give you, for example, the Middle East, where I'm from. It goes up to 130, 140 degrees. You could cook your eggs outside. It never been like that. So, in other words, that area, the Middle East, is going to, it's not going to be uh, habitable, you know, to live in. So, yeah. I mean, we, we need to do something, I mean, eventually. For sure. And I know you're almost done, but I actually wanted to thank you for that perspective because I think... I think you see the world from like the perspective of people where I kind of see things from the perspective of science and what you said about how you played with, like, I'm just going to call them action figures because action figures are dolls and dolls are action figures, (laughs) whatever you want to, no matter what you do. But you said you played with action figures a lot as a kid, which shows that as when your mind was developing, you wanted to learn about people and what they do and how, and how they do things. Whereas for me, it was actually kind of the opposite. Um, I was distracted from people, uh, probably because I grew up as a neurodivergent kid. And it's actually been shown with people who have social issues related to neurodivergence is that they often didn't spend a lot of time growing up as a kid with people or with things that represent people. They spent more time focused on things. So. I feel like that that's my my major blind spot in this is like, I'm so scientifically minded that I don't even think like, oh yeah, immigration is just going to get worse. It's that simple. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's okay, wars. I mean, uh, when people yeah. start to move from the Middle East, they're going to move toward Europe and the Europeans, they're not going to want 20, 30 million people or 50 million coming, running away from all that uh, there because they're not, I mean, 150 degrees, you're not going to be able to do anything. So it's going to be a yeah. lot of problem if, if, if governments don't take it seriously and people take a serious thoughts to act to, to become advocates and protest. If you think you got immigration right now, watch what you're going to get after 30, 40 years or 50 years. I don't know if it's going to live that long. Anyway, you know, uh, to go back, you know, as a child, I, I, I'm honest. I love dolls. One time, you know, I got sick overseas now. Now, we didn't have access to beautiful dolls like you here, like a Barbie. Oh, okay. It's a handmaker. And I'll mm-hmm. give you a little story of mine. I was sick and I was really sick. You know, and, and my mother was like saying, and she said, oh, mom, what do you want? I said, I want a doll. They would have made me this beautiful big doll. I was walking around. And it was normal to me. I mean, uh, see, uh, our culture, you know, though our culture is a little uh, uh, masculine in, in Arabia. You know, oh, the man and all that. Mm-hmm. But if you are, you see men holding hands. People come, they say, well, why are they holding hands? It's a source of affection or friendship when they're walking you know, on the beach and things like that uh, and everything. Anyway, um. Uh, first, could you have, tell people where they can find you? Give me a last statement or anything that you want to say. Oh, yeah, because you actually something you said about the temperature. Did yeah. I do want to say one last thing, which is that we hear two or three degrees and like someone like me who lives in the temperate Ontario of Canada, yeah. uh, I think like, oh, 33 degrees. That's from, from our average of 30, like, oh, no. Uh, yeah. But the reality is, is that 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 change in that one even like a change in degree means that the p- potential for extremes so like the highest possible temperature and the lowest possible possible temperature for where you live will probably yeah. change on the order of magnitude of tens of degrees yeah. so what what you know to be normal like for here is 30 degrees well maybe normal will become 40 within yeah. like a few years or sorry i said 30 i meant 40 degrees which is like uh 110 degrees or 115 degrees fahrenheit for you americans so that's um that that that's quite terrifying because uh, the extremes are actually a lot worse than the norms. Um, but yeah, I'm Nine Tails Cosmic Fox, uh, scientific lefty streamer. Uh, but I'm, I'm not like one of those big brain like everything I do is intellectual, so don't feel intimidated by that. No. I have I should have my Twitter up in my, on the camera here. It's at mline scarlet. Uh, just put twitter.com before that and a slash and that should all work out. I have a YouTube channel that you can find on my Twitter page. It's nine tails, cosmic Fox. I probably will try to upload this uh, to there if I recorded it. Oh, I forgot to start recording. Lovely. Um, So uh, yeah, I've been trying to upload stuff to there, but I'm actually very slacking on that. There's a program called, I think it's called clip and go or go. uh, And you could just get uh, put any video YouTube in 10 seconds. You know what I'm saying? See, as a as an actual as somebody who like has learned to kind of think like a content creator, though that worries me because what if something happens that's out of my control and then like, like I mean that's useful uh, in some circumstances. Like if I'm streaming out and about because I want to stream like any sort of political rallies that happen here. Actually, the truck rally went through here, and I only found out like when they were there, so I wasn't ready to like travel outside of the city to go film a rally, so that didn't work out. Um, but yeah, no, I I'm. Uh, super lefty, 
but I try to be reasonable and rational about things. I'm not like the sort of lefty who's like, if I come across a right wing talking point, uh, I'm just automatically going to disagree with it either. I'm kind of irreverent to the left. And I think that's the other reason why the left sort of doesn't like me. Um, but uh, yeah, those are the two main places. I also do gaming on my Twitch channel sometimes. So if you like GTA five, uh, various. I, I went there. I don't find anything. <clears throat> Oh, yeah, because the VODs don't stay up for very long, and I don't want to oh, change that. Okay. <clears throat> I was looking, I was trying to find videos to watch you and talk to you, and I wanted to get you, now I want to know who you are, and I, I think I saw you in a in a panel or something, you know? Oh, uh, oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, I used to try to study my guests, you know, before they come. You know, I appreciate you for coming. Thank you. There Thank are you for all having me on. Come back in a month or two if you want to come back. If I forget not to invite you, say, Omar, hey, what's going on over here? Did I do sure. bad the last time when I was on, huh? Yeah, okay, talk sure. I'll talk to you like a New Yorker, huh? All right, thank you. Uh, God bless you, and uh, may your life be ha full of happiness, okay? Oh, likewise. Uh, yeah. Have a great night. Take care. Thank you for coming. Bye. Uh, yeah. All right, there you have it. We had a guest. I enjoyed the conversation. I think you guys enjoyed the conversation. We're going to invite her again, and we want to uh, invite everybody, you know, to uh, to add to the conversation. Thank you all, and God bless, and thank you. Bye-bye. God bless the United States. I forgot it. Eh?